and it's important to suffer and then gain a reward like we you know for drumline for example we did band camp uh we did all these practices we hung out together to game con we did all this stuff and then we went we succeeded and it was successful and it was rewarding now you get everybody wins yeah that's so damaging to me you need to fail you need to suffer uh to really build that character there. What is going on, guys? Dr. Jared Nelson in this house, the podcast of the better man, where you can never be perfect, but you can always be better. Today, we have a very special guest, Kevin Thrasher. How you doing, bud? What's going on, man? Hey, this this is an honor. Let me say to have you in here. Have you on here, man. I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah. So I start everybody with this. You're at the grocery store. You're in the gym. You see somebody. And they look at you and they say, you look so familiar. Mm-hmm. Where do I know you from? Go ahead and start off. I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly it's because of how many years I've worked with people and worked with young men and women and been part of programs. Um, I, I work at Gaston Music Company. I guess you could say I'm the operation manager there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've done a little bit of everything there. Uh, most people know me from working with um, high school band programs. Um, I've been a drum instructor for years. Um, I was mostly at Southside. That was my base, but I've worked with every school in the county. I've worked a little bit in Georgia. Um, I toured with a drum corps group, Spirit of Atlanta, out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, I doing it since 1996 off and on. So, yeah. So when people say they, they, they know me or they've seen me out somewhere, you know, and plus, people say I, my face doesn't change. So yeah, you actually do look the same. It was like know, 15, 20 years ago. It was my wife crazy. says I'm a vampire. So. Uh, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Um, so you were my drum instructor. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of why you're here. Have a lot of backstory, background, and everything else. And I yep. kind of want to start it off with this. Um, where did drumming start for you? Now you were my drum instructor for since I was, I guess, marching eighth grade, mm-hmm. seventh, eighth grade until mm-hmm. senior year, and all that. Um, very influential in my life, and we'll get into that. Um, but where did drumming start for you? How did it all start out for you? Well, you know, my mom says ever since I could walk, I was, you know, beating on things on the tables and stuff. And when I was younger, um, my dad graduated Emma Sansom High School back in the day. So we would still go to games in the 70s and early 80s. And Emma Sansom back then had a really good football team. They had a big band. And I can remember as a young child, six, seven, eight years old, walking into Murphy Stadium and watching the drum line warm up. And I thought it was the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I would uh I would go home and get a pair of sticks or something and I could sing their parts, you know. Just I just I just knew it. Wow. So when I got into uh sixth grade, I think, um Band director asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I'm playing drums. That's what I'm doing. And that's where it began. And I took off from there. Yeah. Well, I was kind of a similar thing. I was in sixth grade and Hal Murphy. I don't know if he was there. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you kind of, I, I forgot exactly the protocol of how you try out for instruments. I forgot even how that worked. Everybody's different. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I remember him, uh, we went to this room and uh, it's like, what do you want to play? Interview and all that. And I just knew right off I wanted to do drum line and do all that. Yeah. And the rest is history, man. Yeah. It's been great. So drumming for you, uh, people that don't play drums, people that are kind of undecided about instruments, maybe they're younger, maybe they listen, whatever, what would you say to them in choosing instruments? 
Well, that's, you know, there's a lot of people who think they want to be a drummer and they'll never be a drummer. Yeah, a lot of those. Yeah, you you have to have an internal sense. You have to have that internal clock. Uh, there's a story from years ago I may have told, but there was a poor kid that I was supposed to give lessons to and he was struggling. And I, it was the first lesson I learned that if you don't have the internal clock, you're never going to do it. Right. Maybe it can be developed over time. I've never seen anybody be able to develop it. Right. But you, you, have you ever been in church and the music's going and you see somebody clapping and they're not on the beat? Yeah. Drives me nuts. Yeah. But there's just some people who can't do it. Right. Um, you know, just like with drumming with me, there's some people that want to be trumpet players or trombone players. Sometimes with the structure of their mouth, they're more suited for that. Right. Um, and then some guys who want to be drummers, they just they just naturally have the rhythm and the timing. And um, really, band directors are better at spotting that than than me. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people see the movie Drumline. That's all they know about drumming and all mm-hmm. that. But there is a – it's hard to describe, really. But the camaraderie with people, having to know the timing, having to know the person beside you, internally feeling that, the cohesiveness of a group – um, if you have somebody out of line, it's uh, it can really be detrimental. Oh, you can you can destroy a whole band mm-hmm. if you get somebody that don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and they're just in their own world and beat. Somebody's gonna follow it and it trickles down. I mean, mm-hmm. It's the same way with just a, a regular band with you know a drum set, bassist, guitarist. If somebody don't know what they're doing, it's gonna tear, and you don't have a band. Right, right. It's so important. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, we had many people tried out, wanted to do drum on, and kind of went to other instruments and all that. But that internal clock, I like the way you describe that. Mm-hmm. It's a definitely a, a real thing. I feel like I had that. Um, I don't know if it's because I did a lot of musical stuff in elementary school, like through church and all that. Maybe that got me into that and kind of developed that at a young age. Uh, but I definitely think that's something. We had people that were in band drumline potentially that did not do so well and yeah. have that and i think you kind of saw that the difference in that uh not that they were bad or whatever else but there's a certain type you know of individual that it takes i think to, to do that yeah you know if, if you can nod your head to music you can pat your foot that's the first thing if anybody comes to me and says do you think i'd be a good drummer i, I turn on music mm-hmm. and i watch them and if they if they're not nodding their head or patting their foot or something's moving with it they don't have it yeah they don't have if you've got that the hands, the physical part of it can be taught. Right. Yeah. You don't have that beat in you, man. Mm-hmm. You ain't going nowhere. It's internal for sure. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's hard to describe if you are a drummer, though, you know, if you're listening to this and you are, you just know, you know what we're talking you about. Know. How yeah. would you describe that? The internal clock, uh, just keeping the beat, really? Well, you know, some guys, uh, for me, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. As it is, as much as it is, just there, there, there's some guys who develop more of a logic to it. I mm-hmm. guess you could say that oh, this is this is the beat. This is what I'm doing. For me, it's and and this is as much as I've grown uh, with working with bands and stuff. It's it's more of a the whole product. Mm-hmm. You want to create something that the observer can get into with you. It's the same thing when you see a band on stage and they're tight and you're feeling that groove. You you, you become one with that. Right. Um, so it's more of an emotional thing with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that I want to write a bunch of notes and, you know, it, it you hit it and it goes. I want, I want what I write and what is being played. I want it to affect the person that's on the other side of it. 
Mm-hmm. Just reflecting on what you meant about the emotion, you look at the most influential musical geniuses, people of our time, mm-hmm. have been emotional somewhat toward that the craft. I feel like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even the the biggest uh, instrumentalist, um, even mainstream music. I feel like they they had a certain charisma or like a an emotional connection to their craft. Yeah, they did, and uh, I, I, you know, I, it, Hal Murphy used to. Ask me how how did you write this? How did you know to write this? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know. I just I just hear it and I hear the music and I think this would fit with it. Well, I go and play drums. Like I'm about to play drums at my church actually, and uh, you know people ask me, do you need to? Pra-? And I don't really need to practice. And they're like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I can just listen to it, listen to it one, two, three times, and then I'm good. Yeah, I can feel it. I know when to play and all that. You just kind of flow with it. There's a structure to everything, right? Uh, there's a framework within it. And, mm-hmm. and if you're experienced enough, once you understand what the framework of the song is, you're in it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. Right. Now, if the song gets a lot, a lot of complexity to it, you know, right. it takes a little more time. But every song has a certain structure. Every, every song wants to be resolved. That's what, you know, that's what scales are. Mm. So you just, you learn that. It's almost an unwritten thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yep. That's good stuff for sure. Um, so what made you want to teach drumline? I know you had drumline. You said the origins back in, you know, middle school, high school, seeing people, what made you kind of branch out and say, I'm going to teach. And when did you start teaching drumline? Well, uh, let's see. When I was, I was going to church, um, and there was a, there was a girl in church that I went, uh, that went with me and she was in Southside's drumline, mm-hmm. uh, back in 1996. So she said, my, my old drum instructor was actually there. He was teaching at the time. And he, she said, you, you need to come see Brian and hang out. And I said, okay, because she knew that I played in high school. So I came to, I came to one of the rehearsals and um, was just watching. And, and my old instructor, Brian, came with her. And he started talking to me. And um, he just said, hey, said, hey you want to help me? And I said, sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do what I can. And he said, yeah, come aboard. And um, he said, I'm not doing this next year. You have it. And that was, you know, I was like, am I able to do this? And but that was for what drum line? 1996 in Southside. Wow, okay. Yeah. And uh, I just started with him and kind of got my foot in the door. And then the next year, uh, I wrote the book, the first book I ever wrote, whole drum line. And um, I just seemed to have a way to connect with people, mm-hmm. with, with the young men and women. I, I just... I don't know. I just, I was able to connect and sort of understand their needs of what they needed to become successful. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of reflection on my part of, um, you know, stuff that I felt like I needed growing up. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of projected that onto them and uh, just kind of built from there. Was it perfect? No, I had some years that I thought, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. You know? Sure. But I always cared about my students. Uh, and I think that's where it began. Well, I talked about, uh, I had Luke Palacious. You remember Luke Palacious? Yeah. He was in the band, but I had him on the podcast. And we talked about Haskew, the passion toward his the art of it. Mm-hmm. And I think having an emotional connection, like we talked about earlier, what you did, caring about the kids, caring about the students, that goes so much further than somebody that's just extremely talented. I think yeah. if you care, that's a good starting point if you're doing anything. Start by caring about it and mm-hmm. then refine the craft as you go. Yeah. It's not going to be perfect when you start. That's with everything. You know, you got to start 
And then if you really care about it, that effort, that time is going to be put into it and then it's going to produce. Yeah. It's like a, every year is like a, a, a building project. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of guys who want to get into instructing and uh, we'll get to that story in a minute, but uh, they want to get into instructing and uh, they get into it more for their own glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't do that. You you want to be successful. You want to do the things that, you know, success is fun mm-hmm. if you don't have that success. But su- success is not always winning the trophy. For me, success has become from where you were to where you can go. Mm. And looking back on that and thinking, look how far we've come. And taking that potential and uh, making that a representation of not only what you did in band, but what you can do in life because the life lessons are the same. Right. You know, you want to take these things that you, all the hard work you put, the thought you put into it, all the stuff that was poured into you, take that now and put it into nursing, you know, or whatever craft that you want to go into, whatever profession you want to go into. Mm-hmm. Sort of the Nick Saban philosophy, you know, if you're going to be the best at shining shoes, be the very best where people want to come to you and only you. Yeah. So it, that, that's kind of been my philosophy for the last some odd years. Well, the success is in the journey for yep. sure. Looking back and seeing, man, look what we did, you know, mm-hmm. and that makes the success to me that much sweeter. Uh, mm-hmm. Taking something that was kind of mediocre, average, maybe in the beginning, getting it to an excelled place and maybe winning it all. Uh, that's really the way to do it. Together. Right. You know, it, everybody grows together. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even how many years has it been since you were in the line? Just, mm-hmm. you know, there was obstacles to overcome, but you know, the, that that's where it goes back to the personal relationships. I, I, when I hear of my, my old drummers and they're, they're doing things with their lives outside of drumline after they graduate, you know, very proud of you for what, you know, what you've accomplished. And mm-hmm. a lot of the other guys, you know, I've got one that's a lawyer over in, um, over in Atlanta. I've got one that's, um, you know, chief investigator for the district attorney right now. And just other, other people that are succeeding in their lives. And, and that is, that is the most important thing for me is it's not just being able to play paradiddles faster than anybody. Mm-hmm. It's about, what can you pour into that person that can leave a legacy in their life? Right. You know, that, right. That's that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned before how fitness changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, Cody, Hunter, they all got in fitness and all that yeah. kind of got me into that. Uh, shout out. Shout yeah. out, fellas. But um, Drumline gave me structure, gave me that desire to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think without it, I don't think I would be the person that I am. And I think that's the the reason for sports that's the reason for all these activities it's not just for the activity sure we want to have fun excel and all that but it teaches you so many life skills mm-hmm. and it makes you a better more well-rounded person overall absolutely yeah. absolutely and you know i i see a lot of people who don't get involved in things and i actually feel sorry for them mm-hmm. that they they don't um because i think uh if you have a good environment it uh it can absolutely set the trajectory of the rest of your life well it's like a plant think yep. about a plant you know a plant can grow well uh fertilizer water soil all that or it can wither away if it's not took care of mm-hmm. and i think children uh young adults they're exactly the same yep. uh there's great people that never reach their potential because they're not in that good environment yeah that's yeah. true and i you know that's that's what i always loved about Southside. it was sort of the perfect environment uh, 
there's a lot of programs that don't that are not as blessed as Southside was. Yeah. Uh, and just all the elements were there for people to become successful. So well, let yeah. me say this, you know, we were blessed. I would say support, financial, all that. Mm-hmm. But how about that 2008, 2009 drum line raising the money for the for the drums, man? We sat outside Walmart. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, it's that year was was the standard. Let's go ahead and talk about that. We're going okay. in on it, man. So mm-hmm. people that are people listen to this all over the U.S. I've seen they mm-hmm. they do that. So we're located in Alabama, small uh, semi small town in in Alabama. Drumline there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 2008 2009 drumline. Uh, so many talented people at their peak. I feel like me. Uh, you know, all the seniors, Cody Hunter, Dylan, uh, Wes, Mark, all them uh, at their peak and everybody just hit at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a football team. Like if you think about it, when everybody hits their peak, everybody's at the just the right time. Yeah. Miami Heat, like LeBron, D-Way, Chris Bosh, like all at mm-hmm. the same time in their prime and all that. So what was the experience like with you being a part of that, um, the, the drum line in 2008, 2009? Oh, man. Don't get me emotional. Yeah, hey, let it out, man. It's all good. I knew coming out of the the previous season what I was, what I had. Yeah, and uh, I already had it set up in my head. Uh, we just didn't have the drums, so <laughs> yeah. So I went to Walmart. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sit outside Walmart yeah. and begging. <laughs> I went. I uh, went to Nathan Haskew. Uh, we got together with the arranger. Um, and color guard and you know we had a staff meeting and we were trying to go over what it was that we we could do for the show that year and uh, i don't know i just i said we're, we're doing phantom this year i don't i don't look i our, my line my section top to bottom is going to be clearly the best out there mm-hmm. they need something that they can do and perform you know i didn't want y'all out there playing Mom's little baby's got shortening bread. I right. didn't want to hear none of that. Right. I wanted to. I wanted to have something, and and a lot of those, a lot of those musical things like that, um, uh, they tend to be structured where a drumline can really shine. Um, and so you know, we talked about that, and then when we started rehearsals early, if you remember, yeah, I think maybe in December, My or January, and y'all were just locked in. I mean, it was just, I knew what, I knew what was going to have. And I studied, I studied previous shows with Phantom of the Opera. I, I studied uh, books and I thought, I, I've got to make this perfect. And then when we decided we were going to get new drums, I remember uh, Cody Freeman's dad coming up to me. They'd had a meeting and he said, we're going to get these drums. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I knew we're getting them. Mm-hmm. We got those beautiful black dynasty drums it mm-hmm. took us several months to get you remember we went to those uh we went to the middle school and the elementary school and did those uh uh did those shows for the kids yes to raise money. Remember that? yes i do you know and I, I wrote a couple it. of little things that were kind of stupid but yeah you know it entertained yeah i remember doing all that and i can remember sitting at a coffee shop in boaz alabama because my buddy worked there and he said what are you doing and i said i'm looking at the score you know, I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm telling you, man, with love in my heart, I placed every note on what we needed to do. And that was a hard book. 
That was a hard book, but it was performed well and it was clean and we wowed a lot of people. Yeah. And like I said, we had financial support, but we knew what we needed to do. We knew we needed to step it up with the drums and all that. And we went and did it. And I think that's kind of a, uh, something you can tell people, a kind of a revelation to see that if you want something, you got to find a way to get it. You know, Mm -hmm. we went and stood outside of Walmart and asked for donations and raised a lot of money actually. Yeah. But we knew that what we needed, even though we had a little bit of funding, uh, we still went out there and got it, mm-hmm. and I think that was the key to it. Yeah, y'all worked hard. Yeah, I remember that. Y'all worked. Y'all wanted it, but see, y'all had such great camaraderie. Right. Y'all were really close with each other. You know, I remember Wes Beck used to talk about this. He said, you know, y'all would uh, go over to each other's houses and hang out, so there was already a closeness there, mm-hmm. um, and y'all were just bought in to what culture was already you know established and which direction i felt like we needed to go right it was just it was really a perfect storm it was and uh it, well, we it started is, you know in six i started sixth grade and they were in seventh grade it's yeah. so like i was around them already at such a young age and we just mm-hmm. kept staying close and close and close went through all those seasons together uh mm-hmm. grew you know in a lot of ways challenged each other one thing i want to bring up remember when i learned how to do book reports a certain rudiment mm-hmm before anybody i was a friend i was a freshman they were or i was eighth grade they were freshmen something like that maybe i was freshman they were sophomores but they pushed me to be better all the time and so we fed off each other all the time Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a competition necessarily but we always pushed each other to be better uh without even saying it we just always wanted to to improve and be better yeah well you you constantly the the camaraderie was there but also and this is something lacking nowadays. Mm-hmm. There was there was the need for somebody to step up and kind of be alpha male. Mm-hmm. You needed a leader, right? And all of you pushed each other. Yeah, I but, feel like we had a bunch of alphas though. Yeah, you did. I mean, that's the thing. We all, but we figured out a way to do it. Yeah. We all led, and yeah. we just did it. Yeah. yeah, and 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 that was some of the perfect storm is that it never got, it never got jealous mm-hmm. with each other. Everybody mm-hmm. just kind of fit their mold. Right, And I could go down the line of each person that was there and say, this person was not only good at what he did, but this is what he did to fit in the line. This person was a little different. It was, it was just great. I mean, even to this day, like I, I came back to Southside this year as a consultant, ended up doing a little bit more than I thought I would. And some of those guys still, they know that line. Yeah. They remember it. It's a legacy. But that's the thing, finding where you fit in in the place, buying into the process, Mm -hmm. not having to stand out. You're going to stand out as a unit. Yes. You know, if you're all cohesive and together and figuring out ways to do everything the proper way, you're going to stand out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's a lot of that. You mentioned today's time nowadays. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that kind of want to stand out, be the alpha and all that. But it's so much more beautiful to me and so much better buying into a process, doing it as a team. Yeah. You you have to trust what which direction the figurehead is going. Right. Um, because ultimately, you know, I say when it comes to drumline, I create it, but y'all get to do it. Yeah. You know, uh, if you remember when y'all go on the field, I would say stuff like y'all communicate with each other, get hype, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, be one, just mm-hmm. one unit and uh, just come off the field and, I'll tell you this. I remember when we went to Mid South, uh, y'all had come off the field, and there was a kid from another school that I had taught some. He come out of the stands, and he come up to me, and he shook my hand, and he was speechless. He he just he went, 
I just, I've just never seen anything like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Man, I mean, it's, man, they're good. But yeah, I, that's what I mean, though. It, and that was the unit. That mm-hmm. wasn't just one person. I don't think any of us could have done it alone. But together, mm-hmm. we we really uh, shocked the world, man. Just swept every competition, everything. Uh, and that's the power of being together. Uh, like I said, you know, you can do great things by yourself. But as a team, as a unit, if you buy into a process together, you're going to do so much more than being by yourself. Yeah, it's like getting the right kind of chemicals together, too, man. Because mm-hmm. that, too. Uh, if If one guy had been jealous or out of line or caused problems it just wouldn't have been as good well i would say i don't want to get too dark and i don't want to call anybody out it's not names it's just what it is Mm -hmm. we had some of that try to come in at times Mm -hmm. but the unit i feel like was so strong we were so good together we kind of blocked out the noise yeah you know we found a way to fix it found the way to address things and things usually just resolved on their own yeah Um, well the top of the pyramid right guys y'all it was either this way or you go. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, but the product was so good, you couldn't help but stay. That's right. So, you that's know. That's right. Absolutely. Everybody wanted to be a part, but that's good I stuff. I could talk about it forever. We could, man. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good time. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so, I want to say about this. We had we had some good times in Drumline, uh, sometimes too far, looking back with mm-hmm. some guys. Yeah. It was fun stuff, man. Uh, but it was all out of love, man. We really enjoyed each other and all that. But. I noticed you were tough on some people uh, at times. You had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people more than others. Mm-hmm. So I asked this, in differentiating, I know some people, if you're tough on them, it motivates them to be better. Mm-hmm. Other people, you can be tough on them and they just crumble. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that difference. How do you find that? Is it, do you, can you treat everybody the same? I don't think you should. I think you should find a way to push people in different ways. What was your experience in that? People may disagree with me on this, but, uh, and I'm not going to say I was always right, mm-hmm. but I just tried to use my intuition. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to, I tried to lead by example. Um, there's a, if you'll remember, I, you know, we used to have these little contests to chop each other out. Yeah. Okay. So some of that stuff that I did, I wanted y'all to know I'm the one, I'm the main man. <laughs> yeah. I had to establish that. Sure. Because if I hadn't of, there would have been a little bit of lack of respect there, mm-hmm. it, especially at that age, mm-hmm. you know, the, the challenge. So some of that I had to make sure, okay, yeah, I'm the, I'm the alpha dog when it comes to this. But at the same time, I also wanted to establish, I love you guys. I'm preparing something for you that you will remember for your whole life. Mm-hmm. You're the ones that get to do it, as I said before. But also, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's going to carry over. You just have to trust me. But as far as, I don't know, man. It's just, I always tried to be high energy. I always tried to be confident. You know, I I really tried to be a father figure. and. For me, it was uh, it was about maintaining a certain character. Um, if I felt like that anybody was just not giving effort because they wanted to be lazy, I'm on them. Yeah. Um, if they're giving maximum effort but they're having trouble, it's time to teach. Mm-hmm. If you're just being stupid, and kids do that, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> sometimes I'm just gonna watch and shake my head. Other yeah. times, it, 
it depends. It depends on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. If it's time to get serious and you want to be dumb, then I'm going to come down hard. Mm-hmm. You know, but you said a father figure, you know, you said yeah. a father figure. And, and I think um, in my situation, I've talked about this on the podcast. My dad worked a lot. He mm-hmm. wasn't there a lot. And you kind of, I, I wouldn't say fill that void, but you taught me so much mm-hmm. led by example. I don't want to get you emotional. I'm trying not to get emotional uh, too about being a man. <clears throat> um, the discipline it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, how to structure your life in that way, how to do, how to not be arrogant, mm-hmm. but be confident in what you're doing, uh, do things the right way. Um, and it really creates a big impact. Um, I think, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. A lot of men like to mentor younger men and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It, it creates such an impact. It did for me. I can mention a few people and you're definitely one of those, uh, that led by example. And that, like you said about the reverence, you know, we didn't, we, there was so much respect there, mm-hmm. you know, to be, and I think that's so necessary. You see a lot of sports teams, they don't respect the coach. They don't do it. There's just, you got to have that cohesiveness and you got to have that driving force at the front. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you were that for us. And it was always great to be a part of it for sure. Yeah. You, you, it, it, you just have to know when to say something and when you don't, when, when it's not to. And the biggest part of that is you have to move your ego out. Right. It, it, you have to learn that it's it, it's not about you and it's not about your ambition. And I've seen so many drum guys fail at that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of ego with drumline. Mm-hmm. A lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, snare guys, I mean, a buddy of mine talked about all the time, they can be divas. They yeah. really can. I mean, it's, you know, who's got the bigger set? That's, I yeah, mean, that's, yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah. But... You know, you have to learn to get past that and teach things that are more important. Well, I think we all want to be successful. I think that's a good driving force. Like, if you want to be good, that's but you got to check the ego a little bit. There's a balance. Right. There is a balance. Right. And that gets better with age. It does. You know, it does. I'm not I'm not anywhere near as. I'm not I'm not as tough now as I used to be. Yeah. Um, Like this year at Southside, I. I don't think I was as tough as I don't guess I was. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they think different. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did. You know, I got a hold of them one Thursday night that that was pretty hard, but it was more of a motivating thing. Yeah. You know, I, I remember I looked at this one kid and I said, Hey, you need to get on board. We're, we're becoming a bunch of killers here. Do you want to be with us or do you want to get killed? Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that I, that I say all the time. But yeah, but that's, that's the attitude I wanted my guys to have mm-hmm. is that. You know, when we, when guys sees us, when, when other drumlines see us coming, they're just like, we're done. This, this is it. Controlled aggressiveness, <laughs> you know, yeah. aggressiveness that's unchecked is kind of wild and rambunctious and all that. But having that assertiveness, that aggressive uh, persona, but yeah. controlling that, not letting it get out of, you know, out of control and, uh, and doing what you need to do. But it, it takes it sometimes. Like I mm-hmm. said about earlier, sometimes there's a moment like, I got to push him here. I got to push him. I got to make him better. And we got to excel in this moment. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's important, too, that you have to be able to show a sensitive side to balance that out. Yes. You know, if you'll remember after contests and stuff, I was all hugs and adoration. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very important. It is. You know, and uh, some guys disagree with me on that. But I, I think I think that's what balance out balances out uh, the building blocks of, of being masculine. It is. In its, in its totality. Well, it's like a father. I mean, you can't be hard all the time. There's a time for 
for uh you know hardness mm-hmm. there's a time for softness you know there's a time for everything and i think that's important to differentiate between the two and know when that's appropriate yeah um you know when you've achieved a goal what's wrong with hugging on each other loving on each other all that? that's a beautiful thing yeah uh, but there was a time previously where we got to get this done to get to this point now we can relax a little bit or relax a little bit move on to the next thing and all that but um it's important to show both sides for sure it, it really is and that really carries over into fatherhood. Yeah. It, it, you have to have it. Let's go ahead and buy into that, dude. We're already we're already 30 minutes in there. This is going great. So fatherhood for you, you are a father. Mm-hmm. So tell me about fatherhood, the experience for you. And the question I kind of pull up a lot is becoming a father, did it change you overall? I'm a father and a stepfather. Okay. Um, becoming a father... I'm just going to be honest with you. I was scared to death. <laughs> My son was born, and uh, I remember I took him to the nursery, and they were working on him, and he was fine. But he was sitting there crying and crying and crying and crying. But they said it was necessary. And there's a picture of me holding him with his head up, and, dude, I look scared to death. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I don't I don't know babies. You know, I never had to deal with that. And I had all these, these things about me that I – Am I going to do this right? Am I going to say the right things? Um, And I just felt like I was feeling my way in the dark. But I sort of applied the same principles. Um, You know, I don't don't want my son to be scared of me, but he does have a reverence of me. Sure. Uh, (laughs) You know, my mom has told me that, uh, when something happens at the house, he'll go, don't tell daddy, don't tell daddy. Yeah. You know, and he, it's not because I beat him or, or, or mean to him. It's just because I hold him accountable. Right. He will be held accountable, but you know, if he wants hugs, he gets hugs. If he wants to wrestle, we're going to wrestle, you know, well, I'm going to bring faith into this just a little bit, but I think that's a big reason why God, the father in your life is important mm-hmm. because he holds you accountable to mm-hmm. sin and all that. Now, Jesus came, <clears throat> we'll talk about faith in a minute, your beliefs and all that, but I believe Jesus came, saved us of sin and all that, but God holds us accountable to sin that we don't ask for forgiveness for. And, and we don't love, he, he chastises. Right, right. But there is a certain reverence to God that that is healthy, you know, yes. that we understand. It's not like we're scared to do wrong and all that, but we understand what, you know, the proper way to act is and all that. And I think that's supported the same way fatherhood is. Well, I think I think a lot of these principles we've talked about in the last few minutes, I have gleaned from uh, my spiritual life. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but my spiritual life is my number one thing. Mm. Uh, my study of that and understanding, uh, supersedes anything in drumline music. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about it a lot. I'm not evangelical. Sure. Um, but if, when people want to talk about the scripture or God or spirituality, uh, that that is a beautiful history that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, not always pleasant. Yeah, but uh, it's it's the most important thing to me. Yeah, but what I've learned in that is what I apply to what I do. Sure. Uh, so it has to bleed over. So the way that I teach drumline is how I eat, how I feel like the Father has revealed Himself to me. Mm-hmm. The way that I raise my son is how I feel like the Father has revealed Himself to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, there's volumes of books I can write on that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. 
Yeah, I think everybody could. I think if you're, you know, you're a sinner, you turn away from stuff and all that and how he saves you and, mm-hmm. you know, keeps you from wrong. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So go into your faith a little bit. Um, <clears throat> how did that, how was your faith journey? Were you raised in a Christian household? Yes. What is your whole faith journey like start at the top? I was raised uh, in the denomination in the churches of God. Um, it's a full gospel. Um, they believe in the manifestation of the Spirit. Um, the the old school was was a little bit hard. There was always a fear, yeah, an unnecessary fear there. Yes. Um, and when I was uh, about eighteen or nineteen years old, um, I just I opened up my Bible and I thought I, I, I'm I'm just gonna start reading and been to church home my my whole life and I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I I was so stupid, I was so dumb and ignorant of the scriptures that I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I thought Christ was born in Matthew and was crucified in John. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was four different accounts. Yeah, I did not know it that. It is different. Yeah, yeah, what it is. So I just started from there in a paraphrased version because I didn't understand King James, mm-hmm. and I just went through each book, marking the things, and I was looking for something. I was looking for things that uh, the scripture said that I felt like I believed, stuff that I believed that I was taught, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted to make sure that my beliefs, when I talk to people about my spirituality, that I can back it up with scripture. Right. And then I realized that there was some things that I I didn't think lined up as much. Mm-hmm. Um, kept my journey going, um, and then I got a hold of... Uh, the works of Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a uh, early 20th century Chinese writer, uh, evangelist in China. And the first book I got was The Normal Christian Life. And a lot of people's heard of that book. I have, yeah. But when I read that, my it just opened my eyes to so many things. Um, and I thought, I've never been taught this. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I wasn't listening or what. Went through a time where I got bitter at the church mm-hmm. because I felt like that uh, they were not doing the things that they should be doing to help people. They were more into scaring people. They were more into keeping people in bondage. Uh, got in, bitter. In numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I got bitter, um, and I became a, somewhat of an enemy of church people. I still love God. I still love Christ. Sure. And uh, I was real studied, and, you know, hey, I took that word, and I could cut the ear off anybody with it. We'll go ahead and hold that point right there, and we'll continue (laughs) back on with that. But I wanted to bring this up. I don't know if you remember saying this, but you mentioned this lines up perfectly with what you just said. Back in, I forgot if I was an eighth grader or a freshman, but you said before something about, um, you know, we're supposed to go out into the world. Like we're not supposed to stay in a church home. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like saying that before was that out of hurt before you think from that? This was in 2006, 2007. Do you even remember saying that? That was a long time ago. I probably said that. Uh, I said, say it to me again. We should be in the world. Like the church isn't really where you're supposed to be because as Christians, we're supposed to be ministering to other people in the world and something along those lines. I remember you saying that before. Yeah, I, I I don't know what context I was using, uh, yeah. but you know what is church? What is church? Well, scripturally, this right here, that right there, yeah. that that is the church. Yeah, doesn't matter where you meet. 
Um, I, my mind then, and, and still now, the relationship is different. But my mind then was, we're too we're too focused on the beautiful building. Yes. Um, and you know, my 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 biggest thing now is discipleship. I I, I don't think people are uh, discipled enough. Um, there's, I got young men at my church that are asking me questions all the time about the Bible. Yeah. And I think that's great, Mm -hmm. but that's indicative of people really want to know, but they don't know how to begin. Right. And I feel like I was blessed to, that God, uh, gave me the tools to give me the answers that helped me. And it just it just kept going. Now, what I thought back in the day is is not what I think now about the church. Sure, um, I love the church. Um, she gets on my nerves sometimes, but I think she gets on everybody's nerves. <laughs> well, I don't think it's it, people are imperfect, and I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest part is you get frustrated with the people, and I think a lot of people get hurt by churches, yeah. but you're getting hurt by the people, not by well, you get. You, I think it's the system. Yes. I think there's a system there that is that, too. that is some people worship the system. Yes. And um you know, I'm I'm not as dogmatic as I used to be. Uh like I said, the older you get, the more you mellow out, the more you see the error of your ways. Yes. Uh well I would say even from twenty one to now thirty one, man, huge difference. Well, let me tell you this, buddy. You will look at every 10 years and you'll go, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I turned 50 Monday. That's wild. And so I look back at my 40s and I think, what was I thinking? Yeah. I did the same thing at 40 in my 30s and my 30s and my 20s. Yeah. That's and wild. really did my teenage years. Yeah. So yeah, it's, always, sure. it's always there. But but you're constantly getting you're constantly better. Getting you're constantly better. learning. You're learning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the key. Um, so if you want to continue your story, I kind of interrupt you a little bit with the church and all that. Well, uh, through the nineties, uh, I was going to church and, um, you know, I would, I would talk about things with, with guys and, um, let's see, I ran into some, some issues with some things in the early two thousands and I sort of stepped away from church for a little while. I still love God. Mm. I still love the scriptures. I still love the things that I would study. But man, that, it's like you said. There was just some people that they were just mean. Yeah, they were just flat out mean. Well, it's almost like you can't. You got to keep a certain structure. Like mm-hmm. you talk, you and if you if we try to stray away from that in any way, it's like people don't want change at yeah. all. But change is inevitable. You know, there's yeah. one solid constant: God, His Word, and all that. But we're people. We're ever yeah. changing, and all that. We got to be able to flow a little bit. Yeah, and that that's one thing that I had to to learn in that time period is that. Uh, there was something, there was something wrong with me. Mm. Okay. Um, there, the, one of the biggest ways that you get to God is coming to him and, and stating, I don't know. Yeah. And being humble. Yes. If you use that humility and you meet it in your heart, he's there. He's, he's coming to speak with you he's coming to minister to you right uh and you know you can't get it past him you can't fool him mm-hmm. it has to really come from the heart yes um so that's just some of the things i had to learn mm-hmm. you know we could get on subject after subject but 
that's an overview. Yeah, but humility, I mean, that's the key. Uh, submission to God and sa- hands open saying, I don't know. I mm-hmm. need you. You know, I think that's that's it. But having a heart of humility, that's really the key for sure. Yeah, yeah. Humility is the key to hearing mm-hmm. and understanding. But I don't think moving. you do unless you're humble. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you can sit there and hear somebody, but are you internally listening? Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of the difference. Well, you also run into the problem of... If you're not honest with yourself, then you're what you think and you hear is God is your own idols. That's it. And then if you're led by your own idols, that's frustration, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked about that before. Idols can be anything, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you yeah. know, idols can be a spouse, idols can be a thing. You know, it's, mm-hmm. and it's anything that kind of takes your direction and your focus away from God. We're here to enjoy things, obviously, mm-hmm. in a, a clean way. Uh, but I think even common things, your phone, you know, anything could be that distracts you away from God can be an idol for sure. Yeah, but we're I think it's almost in our DNA. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're prone to idolatry. We want mm-hmm. to hang on to something we can see or feel or touch and identify with. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I had I had somebody talking to me the other day that I I think we're in a time in our country where everybody's dying to be important. Yes. And I'm going the other way. I yeah. Don't, I don't want to be important. <laughs> I will yeah. go the other way. Yeah, it is. Uh, almost important for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, like even bad attention now is good attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, people just want eyes on them. They just want eyes on them. Whether it's good, bad, doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, we could go in on that. I'm not going to go too deep on that. But the the things people do now, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I tell some, I was talking to some buddies of mine not too long ago, and I said, uh, about 2006, seven is when the culture of the world changed. Mm. And you know what happened then? Facebook? Well, no. It was when, when these things right here, you could get online. Yeah. And you could touch anybody in the world. Yeah. And it has evolved into a big giant monster. And everyone thinks they're going to be a superstar now. Yeah. And it's so bad that people get mad if they're not yeah think that's, about that that's a good point and it's all because we're you know back in the day back in the 90s i can remember this and you know you'd get together your world was so small mm-hmm. and now the world is this big old world you act like it that people act like it's at their fingertips mm-hmm. they can do anything and they can touch anything i think that's unhealthy it is you know and people might say well you know People are able to be part of organizations that they couldn't before. That's great and everything. And I don't think we're meant to be. I don't think we have the capacity to be able to have that uh, ability to touch somebody across the world that easy. Yeah. Our brains can't take it. I don't think it. I I think we're all going crazy over it. Yeah. And I I think there is a, um, I think there's a precedent for that. Yeah. And if you believe that, then you have to have a certain discipline to not let that take you over because mm-hmm. you're already saturated with it. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's so addictive. It and is. It's, and it's designed to be addictive. It, yes. 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 I mean, there's researchers literally sitting there 24 seven trying to figure out ways to feed you more information through apps and all that to be addictive, keep you on the apps and all that. I mean, and there's dark places, you know, to the Internet as well, to be connected to people and all that. It's 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 an odd time. TikTok, sure. Facebook Reels. Yeah. I remember the first time I got on TikTok. Oh boy! Hour and a half in, I thought, "What am I doing?" Yeah, and I, I just, I laid it down. Yeah, I thought there, it, it gets you into this, to this zone, 
of these, you know, five, 10, 20 second clips. Yeah. And you just keep going and you can't help yourself. Yeah. Well, I think it's entertainment is good, mm-hmm. but it's the loss of time. Just mm-hmm. thinking about how much, and that could be time with a loved one. That could be time improving yourself. That could be time in prayer. That could be time doing whatever, but you're so fixated on a device, something that's not even really real. You know, now this is on YouTube. This is all that. There's a time for enjoyment. I think there's a time for it. But like you said, you have to be able to logically recognize I have to structure my time. Mm-hmm. I have to set a time limit. Some people like I put do not disturb on my phone after six, mm-hmm. six to eight a.m. Mm-hmm. I don't get calls. I don't get text. And ever since I've done that, I feel like it's better. Yeah. Uh, my nighttime is more directed. Uh, it's just an, a lot better experience. Yeah. You know, and we've got we've got more of an influx of ADD, ADHD. Yes. You know, problems with that. And and. I think that just feeds into it. Well, it's overstimulation. Yeah, it's you know, way and you almost if if a child is fed that, I'm not a neurologist, I'm not a clinical psychologist uh, in that arena, but just logically speaking, and from what I know, when you overstimulate a child, especially at a very young age, they're going to keep expecting that stimulation as they age. Yeah. That that threshold is going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So you know, sitting in a classroom, that's boring. Yeah, like you know, they've been locked into a tablet since one, two years old. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to sit there, listen to somebody talk. You know, yeah. that's not, that's not what they're going to want to do. Yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it's a problem. I think that there is a balance to it. You yes. Know, like being able to get on YouTube and figure out how to fix your car. Wow. Amazing. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. I just put a step up on my truck. I just yeah. YouTubed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that would have costed hundreds of dollars to take to the deal. I just did it myself. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's great. But what we have now is, um, you know, you go down the YouTube tunnel and you're gone for three hours. Yeah. If you do that every day, what is what is that doing to you neurologically? Mm-hmm. I I just don't think it's good for us. Well, I don't think we know. We're starting to find out the long term impact. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to see those results. To be completely I, honest, I yeah. Yeah. Uh, this past weekend, I took my stepsons and my son uh, down in the gorge at Nakalula. Uh, we went hiking. I haven't done that in a while. I'm mm-hmm. out of shape. Shame to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was hurting the next day. But anyway, we, we went all the way under Nakalula and all the way around, and they loved it. Mm-hmm. They loved it because it got them away from the noise. I even stopped at one point. I said, listen. They're like, what are we listening for? I said, you hear how quiet it is? And they loved it. Yeah, but some so, people, it's almost maddening, yeah. you know, to be in no noise because it's what we're used to now. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be... And I, I would say I struggle with that. I struggle with kind of sitting and quiet. It, yeah. It's almost abnormal now. I, I think that uh, I, I try to do that some. I try to sit in quiet mm-hmm. or I try to sit with some some sort of soft music going on in the background, almost a meditative thing. I try to do that more now. Uh, and I think it's an exercise that humanity needs to try to start doing to balance out this stuff. Yeah. I'm really I'm really concerned about it. I'm really concerned about it doesn't matter where you go, you look, and people people's heads are stuck to that phone. Well, unless you are assertive and direct about doing that yourself, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Because I think this stuff's going to keep getting more and more addictive. And I, think, you. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I'm concerned. Yeah. Because um, the general public, they're not. They kind of, yeah. I mean, people just, it's human nature, just going to kind of follow trends logically to think I'm going to discipline myself. Discipline's kind of rare, you know, yeah. just, just in nature. So going back to what you said about, um, you said you were in church 
and there was something a blind spot with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to look at. If you, you know, have a problem with somebody else, I think it's important to look internally first mm-hmm. and see if there's a problem with you. Because sometimes you're blinded by things. Like when you see everybody else and you're like, I don't like this, this person does this and all that. Maybe there's something about you uh, that you could fix and it could solve a situation. Yeah. It, I, it, to me, there's a point you get to where it's not about other people. It's about that there's something there's something that you believe or something that you're acting on, even deep within your subconscious, mm-hmm. that is keeping you from the fullness of your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And you don't know it. And it comes out in different ways. Yes. But if you're if you're fortunate enough for God to reveal that to you. And pull that out of you, ever how terrible it may be. Mm-hmm. That's a true blessing, man. Yeah. Well, I think that's important. Why too? Uh, you need accountability partners. You mm-hmm. need people, close friends, men around mm-hmm. you to say, "Hey, I see this out of a loving way." Uh, you know, I think there's people that can really throw some shade at you and all that, mm-hmm. but out of love, say, "Look, I see this. Are you okay here? Mm-hmm. I see this deficiency in you. I, I care about you. I want this to be better potentially." Um, and I think there's an art to do that, but I think that's why that's so important because there are some blind spots. Everybody has them. Everybody yeah. struggles with something, and it's good to have accountability partners in that way. Yeah, and there you'll never reach a a, a plane of perfection, right? But you can reach a plane a plane of uh, contentment. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are on that contentment train. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. But if you never reach perfection, you should never stop trying. Mm-hmm. John Maxwell, he's an author, well-known, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote a book. I watched it before, and he called it The Fine Family, right? Mm-hmm. You see a family, and uh, how, how's everything going? I'm fine. And there, there's a diagram he wrote, and the family's standing there, and there's a big elephant behind them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like nobody's fine. We're yeah. all suffering. We're, in some way, we're all suffering. And yeah. that's why I think it's to have a good community around you. Going back to the social media thing, we are all so connected but really deep, we're so disconnected. Exactly. You know, we can t- we can reach anybody at all, but those deep, intimate relationships with people that are so necessary since the dawn of time are not so common anymore. That another reason why it alarms me. Yeah. Settings like this is really important. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of people listen to podcasts now, because they're looking for something real and authentic. Yeah. And it's just, you know, a lot of the young guys that I talk to, uh, you know, they, they've grown up in the generation where they, they've had that phone in their hands or whatever, and they're really looking for some authenticity, something real. Mm-hmm. So much so that I think they're looking for it, even if it's painful. Yes. Uh, and I think, I think that we're fortunate if we're there, if we're starting to get to that point. Well, I was weird. I was weird, that too. But I was in the generation that started, you know, eighth, ninth grade, I created Facebook. You know, so mm-hmm. I kind of had a lot of my childhood without it and then Mm -hmm. it kind of had both and i could even tell a change then and i just thought it was kind of normal like i grew up or whatever but looking back i'm like i could see a shift like people changed yeah well that's when i was a freshman sophomore all Mm -hmm. that people changed it just the world dynamic it just changed so much it shifted something happened something happened then i don't know you know yeah it was just it was a very different world the 90s uh it was a different world in the early 2000s 
And now we're at a point where I see young people, they're so different. They, they were diff- they're different than they were, you know, 13 years ago. You know, well, I think a lot ago. of people comment too, have commented, I've released a lot of videos and they comment like, every generation says that. Mm-hmm. Like the generation, they're like, these kids nowadays, all, they said that in the 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. But I feel like now it is very dramatically well, different. Well, and not just, not just in their good or bad or whatever, but just in maturity. Right. Being, you know, back in the day when I first started teaching, those kids like Clark and Constance and them, mm-hmm. they were ready to go out in the world and do whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys were, were for sharp. And I knew, I had no worries that y'all, some of these kids today, man, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we had participation trophies. Mm-hmm. You know, we had that kind of started that generation. My generation did. But I think it kind of excelled recently mm-hmm. uh, within like the 2010s and all that. And it's important to suffer and then gain a reward. Like we, you know, for Drumline, for example, we did band camp. Uh, we did all these practices. We hung out together to game con. We did all this stuff. And then we went, we succeeded, and it was successful and it was rewarding. Now you get everybody wins yeah that's so damaging to me you need to fail you need to suffer uh to really build that character there you have to have pushback yeah you have to have toll you 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 have to have difficult things you you cannot grow physically mentally spiritually if you don't have it right it's the only way that you can grow and you know why, why would you why would you want to go through that because you need to be the generation that helps the next one that comes. Yeah. So they know what to do and how to be better. Mm-hmm. And so we don't down have a downfall. And uh, I, I just am very passionate about that. Well, in every point in my life, and I'm sure you can attest as well, when you suffer and go through those hard times, you look back and like, thank goodness. Like, yeah. look who I am now. Look yeah. how I grew from that. Look how I saw that. Now I see situations so differently, so much better. And all that. It's, it's necessary. It really is. Yeah. You know, and, my mom was uh, sending me a text the other day after my we had a little birthday party for me, and uh, she was saying, I, "I'm I'm proud of the young man. I'm I'm proud of the man that you've become, and all this." And I said, "I I can truly say, for the first time in my life, I really feel contentment with yeah. who I am and what I do, and I can chalk it up. I can just about chalk it up to." Try to be, try to have humility in anything you do and don't take life so serious. Mm. That's what I try to tell my, my stepchildren is that if, if you would learn to laugh at yourself mm. and not take things so serious, 90% of the problems that you have right now would be over. You're probably right. You know, but it's hard to tell teenagers that. Yeah. Because they're so self-focused. Right. But, you know, I. That's something you just have to learn to get through. It is, and through maturity. Yeah, I mean, but I, I hope those words ring out, though, that, that one day they'll go, you know what, That's that works. Yeah. You know, I it, when you learn to laugh at yourself, I always thought you were good about that mm. back in the day. You, you oh, were yeah. good at laughing at yourself and oh, yeah. stuff. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember bees? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was funny, but you, you, you thought it was funny, too. You know, yeah. and in that moment, you probably thought, hey, this is cool. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. But, go it. you know, it was just funny. And, yeah. and now that is something that that's probably out there in the ether somewhere. And we can laugh about it. Yeah. But it's wonderful. It, mm-hmm. that That's the thing that's wonderful. You can't take yourself serious. 
Mm-hmm. You can't take yourself so serious. Yeah. Because we, we've got a problem with that. I think that fits right into mm-hmm. know, this right here. Mm-hmm. It goes hand in hand. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. That's a really good point. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to go talk about jobs. So we talked okay. about gas music, but you did truck driving. Yes. You did that for a period. Uh, kind of explain the transition from that you were at gas to music kind of started truck driving maybe people thinking about going into truck driving and all that what was your experience pros cons dive into it a little bit uh i had uh, i was living in Asheville. um i had an opportunity to take a job in birmingham um i wasn't driving a truck per se at that moment but it was a little bit better money better benefits and a wife and kids at that point, so it really helped us out. And then this job come up where I was going to be <laughs> driving a truck. Mm-hmm. I was going to be driving hazmat material, so I had to get all these endorsements. I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to do that because that's not me. Mm. When you think of Kevin Thrasher, you probably don't think of truck driver. Yeah. But I learned it. I did it. I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And... If you're able to be self-motivated, uh, work alone, it's great for you. It, it, it's a good job. Um, I enjoyed it, but I needed to be back home for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. And my son was, I think he was two at the time, and I, I needed to be home for him. Mm-hmm. Um, money was good. I learned some cool things. Uh, but... I'm I'm in a position I'm back in a position now that I know that I'm that I'm supposed to be in. Well, I think there's a certain kind of demographic or a certain type of personality that kind of will gravitate toward doing that because you're away from everybody a lot mm-hmm. and all that. Um, do you think that's important to have a certain certain type of way? Yeah, you know, when I was doing that job, I loved the guys that I worked with, but they didn't understand me. Yeah. <laughs> I was a different I was a different person than right. them. They didn't understand my sense of humor, and mm-hmm. it took them a while. Uh, but I, like I said, I, that's not demeaning, but it, it's just I loved every one of them. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, some people love being a truck driver. Yeah. Um, I was telling my wife this weekend, we were coming back from Birmingham, and I said, you know, if I could get a gig where I could maybe twice – twice a month just carry a load somewhere and come home mm-hmm. for a certain amount i'd do it because mm-hmm. it's just fun being on the road yeah and once you learn how to drive those things sometimes they're easier than driving a car really yeah you can see better wow right, people don't think that but once you learn to maneuver it you do the things that they teach you to do i i felt better driving that thing sometimes than i was in a car yeah i think it'd be fun i think the main pushback is like your people that have families away from their family you know i think that's a big uh Big thing that a lot of people don't enjoy about it. I, I stayed gone about two nights a week. Yeah, that's not bad. Th- no, it wasn't bad. You know, my company put me up in hotels, which was what they paid for my food. It was sure. It was nice. Yeah. You know, um, it wasn't bad. You just, all the safety stuff you had to go over and whatnot. And, but I, I learned a lot from it. And, uh, you know, it was fun. Yeah, well, that's something you kind of branched out and did something different. I think that's something a lot of people are kind of scared to do. You tried something, even though it didn't work long term, you at least tried something and you learned a lot from it. Yeah, I did. Um, It gave me a certain confidence in other areas of my life. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you may not believe this about me, but growing up, I, I struggled with confidence. Mm. I really did. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to get to where I am now to be confident in myself. Um, you know, and people, it, there's a difference between being confident and being prideful. Right. And we covered that a little bit. But I think, I think for, for men today, really understanding that is vital. It I is. think that's been lost. You know, somewhere so it's been lost in translation. Somewhere. Well, I'm going to be a little vulnerable a little bit. I feel like in my early 20s, I, you know, when I was senior drumline, all that band mm-hmm. captain drumline, I had it all. And so some people call me arrogant, cocky, all this stuff. And I feel like I really wasn't because I have a heart for people. I felt like I knew who I was. I knew I was good and all that. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I wasn't arrogant. So I almost pushed it all the way to the other spectrum. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'm going to make sure everybody knows. I'm humble and I, and I try I extreme when mm-hmm. extreme with it. Um, and I would say that to people, if you know, you don't have to be extreme like that, hypervigilance, um, toward that. And, uh, and it was like that for a little bit of time and mm-hmm. it kind of took me a while to get my confidence back. Yeah. Cause I felt like I had to kind of appease people in some way. Cause I, I don't want them to think I'm arrogant and I wasn't, I was just confident in what I could do and my abilities and all that. Yeah. Um, but there was a time there where, where my confidence was down too, and it took a while to build that back up. Yeah. There's, there's a little bit of a transition and, and let me just say this going from the 0809 line from the 910 line. Yeah. You were the, if I'm not mistaken, you were the only guy that came back on the same drum. I think everybody was on a different drum. Uh, Hayden. Hayden was on Hayden snare. Was on ten, t- he was on tenor. He too. was, he yeah. was. So he had to ah, transition to snare. That's a good point. So it was vital that you were the leader that you were. Yeah. You know, that's what held that line together. Mm-hmm. That was a good line. It was. Okay. A lot of stuff we had to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I that that was more of a building project than 08 was. It was. It was I it mean, was. it really was. But And we did cartoons, man. <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, Saturday morning classics. Yeah. But that music was good, though. It was. It was. That, that just the same, but it can't same, compare to Phantom, though. No, it can't. can't. Yeah. But it was it was fantastic show. Yeah, uh, some of that some of that uh, classical music is just so fun to write. But if if you had if your mind had been elsewhere, if you were not focused, and I think that's what uh, from that O eight line, it really propelled you to know what to do to to have a good line for the next year. Because mm-hmm. it's think about that, no one was on the same drum and a bunch of rookies. Yeah, and you had to you had to. Because if I wasn't there, it was yours. Well, seeing that success before and mm-hmm. knowing, you know, what it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the key and and knowing what you have to endure and what you have to grow. But, yeah, it was definitely a growing project. But we did really well. Yeah. We did really well there. But, you know, I see this a lot in, in young men, too. When they get out of high school, life kind of slaps you in the face. You're, you're not really prepared for the real world. Right. As it is because you're in high school and you're told what class to go to and when to be there and what to do next and what time you got to get up and all it. And then you get out in the real world and it's like, I get up and I better know what I'm doing or there's consequences for it. Sure. And you, you young men tend to get a little bit, get a bit lost in that. Mm-hmm. And the older I've gotten, the more that, especially, especially in church, you know, you have youth groups and they have these young men in there and then they get out and they go to college or something. And a lot of them just kind of stray away. They get lost in the fold. Yeah, well, they do. Um, I think it's very common, too. You see people after high school and stuff, they 
kind of get away from the faith and all that because mm-hmm. somebody's sitting there in high school holding your hand all the time. Exactly. And that's yeah. and, and so it's kind of like sink or swim at that point. And some people, unfortunately, sink and don't have a lot of support uh, in like a college group. Yeah. And I and I've kind of I, I led a small group at church uh, at the first of this year. That's great. And I, I told a guy that he, he wanted me to do it. And I said, well, I want I want young men between the ages of 18 and 25, somewhere in there. Right. And my my thing was, I told him, I said, nothing's off the table, gentlemen. We're, we're not going to skip over anything. That's great. We're, we're going to talk. And, you know, I want you to bear your soul to me. I'm going to bear myself to you. And we're going to talk. And we're going to get some stuff out in the open. And it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. And those young men responded so well. And I love every one of them. And um, hopefully I'll run another one in January if they ask me. But, yeah, that that really – going back to Southside and helping – and doing that small group really helped me uh, at the first of the year. Well, it's vulnerability, man. Yeah. Just being able and having somebody like you to go to young men and saying, hey, you can be completely open and honest about this, and I'm not going to judge you for it, and we're going to get through it together. That Young men need that. And yeah. I, feel, I feel like because among young men, you're trying to like, it's just not the same. You need yeah. like a mentor, somebody in your life to help you, to kind of guide you. Mm-hmm. Not somebody sitting there saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't. But real struggle that mm-hmm. you're going through and all that. And I think that's why we have a mental health crisis, really, that we yeah. have is just the support camaraderie among people is just not there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's such a push to be important. I, I keep it. going over this, but yeah, it's just so dire that we're important. Yeah. And I'm saying, you know, be humble and let God lift you up. You said that a couple of times. Where do you think that originated? I know you said the phone, but why do you think people desire so heavily to be important because we've had famous people well, throughout I think time. it's human nature mm-hmm. I, I think we all want to be important to be relevant in some we way. want to be relevant we want to be important we want to make our mark uh and i think that's been in us from the beginning of time i just think it's uh it seems so easy to do that now mm-hmm. uh, and it could be you don't know what's going on at home. Yeah. You know? Um, mm. If you if you're not getting enough of the uh, nurturing that you need mm-hmm. as a young man or a young lady, mm-hmm. um I think those things can uh can affect it. Well, we've bounced from topic to topic up, but mm-hmm. it's all been great stuff. But broken homes, single parent households, um, you know, I think is the the foundation i think satan attacks the home mm-hmm. you know i think that because that's the unit right there if that can be broken you can infiltrate whatever you want to um and yeah i think women men all that the reason drugs and promiscuity all that's going on is people are searching for something mm-hmm. they're trying to fill that void in some way and i don't i don't blame them for it i mean it's sinful it's wrong i think it's wrong and all that but that's what they're trying to do you know they're trying to fill that void of being you know relevant important they haven't had anybody in their life a loving parent and all that mm-hmm. to say you know anything supportive to them so um it's a sad situation but i kind of don't blame them in a way i understand it not that it's right but yeah I and empathy it. i think is very important yes um but you know that goes back to i had a young man come up to me one year when i was in drumline and he said hey kevin i want to be the section leader of the pit next year what do i need to do to be the section leader of the pit and i said you need to serve the most mm. and he didn't know what to do with that mm-hmm. and it's, i said you're the first one here that you're the last one to leave 
You're always ready to listen. You're always ready to help. You're the best at what you do, but you give of that best to other people. Mm-hmm. That's the best leader. Yeah. You know, you, you give, you serve. That's what Christ taught us. Mm-hmm. That's metaphorically washing the feet. Yeah. I think that attitude fixes a lot of things, too. Let's get away from trying to be important and let's serve more. Mm-hmm. And what, whatever capacity, whatever you're good at, serve someone else. Let go of yourself for a little bit. You'll feel better when you do. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you'll feel better. <laughs> well, it's biblical and it's a Chinese proverb, too. Yeah. If you want to feel better, go serve somebody else. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, when, you're, when you're serving others, I think you're being the best at humanity. You're being the best at being a disciple. So I, that, that's the stuff I try to teach. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you on that 100%. Um, so modern medicine, I kind of mm-hmm. want to ask your opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about big pharma, all that? Hopefully we won't get canceled. <laughs> Same. <thing. laughs> I'm not going to say it again. But, uh, but what do you think about uh, medicine today? Oh, I think things, I, I think our food is killing us. Mm. Uh, I was driving down the road one day and I just stopped and looked and it was this fast food joint and this fast food joint and this fried food and this and you know it it, that stuff hurts you Mm. okay but then if you study and you know what it is you're supposed to eat can you afford it yeah you know had a guy on the podcast uh, recently he's ahead of a soup kitchen Mm mm-hmm uh, they're getting crab, filet mignon, lobster, because mm-hmm. people that buy that stuff normally can't mm-hmm. afford it. So they're throwing it out. You know, they get the throwing away food, and that's the nature of what's going on right now. I mm-hmm. mean, you almost can't, unless you're making crazy money, you can't afford to even be healthy now. Yeah, it's hard. It's very difficult. I think if we eat better and had a little bit of training on how to take care of ourselves better, we wouldn't need all this modern medicine. But isn't that the human way? To kind of rely on somebody else, like not really fix your own problem, not fix your diet, not exercise, not take care of your body, but let me take a pill instead. You know, the pain oh, becoming the American way, right? Yeah, right. I, I think that's pushed a lot. Um, well, that's profitable. Yeah, you know, to sell medication. If I'm in a car wreck, and my arms laying over there, I want morphine. Yeah. Okay. And that's what it's designed for. That's what it's designed for. Right. I believe that it is possible if you have the means to do it. You you can be drug free for the majority of your life. Sure. You know, I, I'm on blood pressure medicine now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you get older and just things, uh, my blood pressure, it wasn't terrible. I take it to, I take it to stay alive. Yeah. Because I've got people counting on me. Well, naturally, from a medical standpoint, vascular changes and all that, it's just inevitable. The, yeah. Pulse pressure widens and all that. It's just it's how how you age. It's yeah. just how it is. And we know the detrimental effects of not treating that. Yeah. That's why I mean blood pressure treating is just a very smart thing to yeah. do. I, I think uh I just think there's a lot of things out there that we don't need. Yeah. And we don't have the things that we do need. Mm-hmm. If that answers the question. But I think it's so basic. You know, mm-hmm. used to it's like you had a farm, you ate from the animals, all that, uh plants, mm-hmm. fruits, veggies. I mean, we've kind of made it Oh, I've got this, uh, you know, new trend thing, the uh, mocha or matcha. You know, I don't know. I think it's just too much. Uh, you know, health has been so profitable. I mean, healthcare mm-hmm. is one of the most profitable things in the U.S. for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if you can profit on that, people must definitely do it. But I think it's a lot simpler than what people make it to take care of yourself. It is. Um, but think of the, it's a cost analysis. Think of the time you have to put into making sure of that. Yeah. Depending on your lifestyle and what's going on. I mean, you know, I've got four kids. Mm-hmm. I've got one playing football. I've got one fixing to play basketball. Um, you know, uh, and then we've got my stepdaughter and we've got my six-year-old. Um, so, and then I go to work every day. My wife goes to work every day. Depending on what's going on, we may not get home until later that evening. And the worst thing that we have to discuss every night is, yeah, I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate talking about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Because you have to take into account, well, Caden doesn't like this, or I don't know if Michael will eat that, or my kid, all he'll eat is chicken fingers. Well, what are we going to eat? We know we should eat more healthy. Right. Because when you're a teenager, you can gobble up everything, and you still have a six-pack for the most part. That's true. But when you're older, it's harder. It's not mm-hmm. always the case. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and... But our lives are so busy, almost mm-hmm. the basic necessities, healthy food, exercise, all that is very hard to achieve. It, yeah, you you have to, like I said, it's cost analysis. What, what are you going to give up? Yeah. You have time to give that up, you know. And uh, I don't know. It's a hard question. I, I used to uh, I used to own a health food store. Yeah. And I, I got into that, and I believe in supplements, and I think they do help. But nutrition is nutrition is is the main thing. Yeah, and I think it's everything really. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're putting in your body uh, yeah. on a daily basis is very important. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of studies about you know genetics uh, playing a big role. Do you think? And I've asked a lot of clinicians about this, and they're kind of split on it. To be honest, mm-hmm. genetics versus familial patterns. So we're like, okay, obesity. If your if your grandmother, your mom is obese, you're going to be obese because of your genetics. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's more familial patterns? We grandmother, mom, me ate the same things, same diet, exercise pattern. Do you think there's this more weight toward genetics or or patterns of lifestyle? What do you think is more important? I am by no means an expert on that, but I would say there's a combination of both in there. Yeah, um, I think there's a combination of both, but I think it leans more towards patterns. I think there's a genetic component, mm-hmm. but I think you can be dealt a hand in genetics and still change your life for the better. I feel like genetically. I wasn't that great, but I ate well. I worked out a long time and all that, got fit um, and all that. I think it's very possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm All right. Talk, let's, let's talk about weight loss. Okay. Sure. Okay. So I had, a, I had a couple of friends. I had this one guy. He was, um, he was relatively small, and he had a buddy, and he was about, he was about 5'10". And he hovered around 300 and 350. So he was a big old boy. Wow. All his life. Mm-hmm. Right? And so this dude over here, he was about five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there, and stayed lean at 100, 140 pounds. If he, if he was to uh, eat less a couple of days, he would be cut. They ate the same food. Yeah. This guy over here sometimes ate worse. Processed food. So mm-hmm. what's the difference in those two guys? Same age. There's a hormonal thing there. Sure. There's uh, a lot of factors. Yeah. And, yeah, I definitely this. And when I when I look at that, I'm thinking his programming is different than his. Mm-hmm. Is it genetic? Probably, but I think and and 
And from what I've studied, there is a lot of different things that they're using now. Uh, they're using peptides and stuff of that nature that is uh, getting into the programming of those hormones. And it actually facilitates a lot better uh, people being able to drop weight or gain muscle. It's not steroids. Right. It's the programming in, in your glandulars. Like when you were a teenager and you could eat whatever you want and it would just you would just have muscle, you yeah. know, or you would drop weight. What is the difference in that? Your your programming in the your programming in your hormones were different than they are now, you know. Sure. And um I've I've seen a lot of study on um, uh people taking different kind of peptides that have helped that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, we we have an issue with food. We have an issue with genetics sometimes, and I think we have an issue with what is the programming in our body, which may go back to genetics. Again, I'm no expert. I'm just an observer. Sure. But I think I think there is something to that. And I, I know nutritionists and people who are bodybuilders and are trainers that seem to agree with me on this. You know, mm-hmm. That's my two cents on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely a component, uh, but I think you're a product of your environment. I think mm-hmm. that helps a lot, but there there's theories of mesomorph, endomorph, like yep. you said, different t- body types, mm-hmm. and I think that's a real thing too. Um, but I think everybody's delta hand. All to say, everybody's delta hand. You mm-hmm. know, there's people that are in the gym. I see them in the gym. Like, I cannot gain weight. I eat so much now. Me, I can barely eat, and I put on muscle like crazy. It's just how I was yeah. my genetics. So I think the hand you're dealt, take the hand you're dealt, and then roll with it. Uh, see what benefits you the most, and, and go with that. Yeah. Um. As far as working out and bodybuilding, um, I sort of take the stance this buddy I had. He he was one of the first ones that got into kettlebell work. Oh yeah. And um, he was not a big guy at all. <laughs> he was so strong, so strong. Mm. I mean, we we were playing football or something one day and i ran into him and it was like running into brick wall yeah and i i had 30 pounds on him well training for <laughs> hypertrophy versus strength is is different yeah you know, and he, he was he was something else but mm-hmm. uh you know i i i tend to think if i was going to be like anybody as far as the training i would be more like him i'd want to drop weight and be stronger but not deceptively yeah it's <laughs> probably know. the healthier way yeah I mean, really so uh and I really need to get in the gym more, work out and do something. Mm-hmm. But when you get old, it's it's so nice to sit in a chair and just be left alone for a little for while. For sure. Oh, I totally get that. I'm 31. I kind of I resonate with that 100%. Yeah. So um, something I wrote down that I want to ask you, uh, we kind of talked about that you grew, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. You look back 10 mm-hmm. years and you're like, who am I now? Or how, who was I then? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say to, say, a 20-year-old version of you now being 50, uh, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? Don't act so quick. Take mm-hmm. time to think. War game it. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't be so hasty in your decisions. Believe in yourself. Don't don't trust the frantic thought in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it you 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 have time. You have time. Well, you know, our brains are here to keep us safe mm-hmm. and thoughts are not always right. Yep. And I think that a lot of people kind of get caught in their thoughts, emotions and all that. That's to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that can be wrong. And I think it's it's good to say that for sure. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's our that's the world now. We're all so quick. It's like we and I get caught up in that. Like mm-hmm. if I'm doing an episode or whatever, I need to get it out so soon. It's like I don't have enough time. Like I'm stressed. I don't have time. Um, how do you how do you get to that point and say I'm good with time? I'm calm here. I'm going to remain calm. I'm going to get what I need done, and then I'm good to go. Because I think that's kind of rare in today's time. Because I've always got it done. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, I get it done. And I didn't have to rush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you look back and you go, okay, that you're doing the same thing over and over and you're not getting the desired result, you know, you know what we call that. Mm-hmm. So I, I just look back and I'm going, okay, you had time to relax here and enjoy the ride. So the older I've gotten, the more that I do that. I try to, you know, my wife talks about that. She, you know, she said, you, you know, she says you you really when when you talk about talking with the kids and stuff that take a second think it all through and then talk you know you you know you see all these shows on TV desperate housewives and all that mess yeah you know? what what is it that they do it's just yeah yeah who's got who can one up the, the other one it's just Kardashian, not Kardashians yeah it's just it's not necessary yeah it's just not necessary well there's power in the pause. Heard mm-hmm. that from a, from an attorney friend of of uh, a guy that I know. Um, when you pause during a conversation, it's not as long as you think. I think some people think it's like awkward to just sit there for a second. Yes, to you it feels like an eternity. But really, in real time, if you pause for two or three seconds, it really seems normal, and you're going to have a better response. Do you know what that does? What's that? It changes the tempo of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I tell my the people that I work with. I say you have to control the tempo of the conversation. When you have somebody that is irate, you control the tempo, you control the conversation. That's good. And uh, so you, the first thing people do out of the gate is, and y'all did this, you know, and I'm like, okay, tell me a little bit more about this. I say it slower. They get to talking, and eventually it's like, you know, somebody drowning, they just wear themselves out. Right. And then I go, now tell me what you need me to do. And they can't do it. <laughs> they can't tell you what they want. They're yeah. just mad. Right. They just want to talk and they're mad. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, I tell them what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. But I tell them in a way where I've slowed them down. I'm saying, Here's what we're going to do. Right. And they take it. Yeah. And and that's just years of, of learning how to do that. I'm mostly failure on the phone. Sure. But I th- that's what I try to train people at, at the store to do is just, Control the tempo. Don't worry about what they're saying to you or about you. Eventually, they're going to wear out, and they just need somebody to help them. Well, if somebody's yelling and you yell back, then what is that? What is that going to do? Uh, it just makes it worse. Exactly. You, you know, know, if you can sit there and and just let the pride ego go and just sit there for a second, mm-hmm. take it and just logically think. Because when somebody's yelling, most of the time they're mm-hmm. not logically thinking. No. But take control of that tempo of the conversation. That's with relationships. That's with business. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and be think about it mutually beneficial for everybody, you mm-hmm. know, still wanting to help the other person and all that. But being that solid source, uh, you know, of confidence and calmness in that situation really is a powerful thing. Yeah. And somebody called me one time and just lit into me. And I said, and I just stopped. I went, I am so sorry. Yeah. They didn't know where to go with it. It catches they, them they, off guard. Yeah. I said, tell, tell me what I can do to make this better. Right. Because most people, will respond in an angry way. They're almost mm-hmm. expecting that exchange. 
Uh, but when you have humility, as we talked mm-hmm. about before, you know, it can really, really yeah, change. If you it. have humility and you, um, and you want to help the person, you, you win the war. That's right. But you, you, you essentially take yourself out of it. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's, that's another thing I'd tell my 20 year old self, you know, if you're going to win, take yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. You, you you don't need that part of you. There's mm-hmm. another part of you that really wants to be a servant. Mm-hmm. Always use that. You can't go wrong with it. You can't. You, you can't. can't. I think about it. any time in my life, anything I've done something for somebody else, never regretted it. No. Now when I've done stuff selfishly for myself, I have. I wouldn't say regrets because it kind of made me a better person overall. But I, you know, it wasn't the best thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but that's a great thing. Well, dude, this has been awesome. We're kind of starting to wrap up here, getting toward the end. Yeah. So I end with this 5, 10, 20-year plan. So you're 50. Mm -hmm. 55 years old, five years from now. Where are you? What are you doing? What do you want life to look like? Same thing. I don't want to change anything. Hmm. Family's growing up a little bit. Yeah. I want my kid to just want my kid to be happy. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to keep keep pouring into him so he'll be an awesome adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't I don't plan a lot because the way my life has gone, it's I'll say, Well, I want to do this and it just doesn't look anything like it. That you know? is a spinning image of my life as a whole. Yeah. yeah man. Had it, so many plans, man, and it never, you know, um what was it, Bruce Lee? Like be like water, mm-hmm. you know? Just let life and like you said, don't take everything so seriously. Just ebb and flow because you can have plans. You can go in that direction, but life is going to run its course. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to believe in yourself that whatever comes, you're going to be okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean don't plan for stuff or be lazy. It's just, there's just some people like me and you, we have these aspirations and we think we know what we want and it just doesn't work out. Yeah. And for me, that was something that I had to overcome. So when people say, well, you need to plan out, you know, and I said, I'm, I'm tired of that. That has wore me out. We almost have an image of what your life you want it to be. And when that doesn't come to fruition, that's where disappointment, all that comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because that image did not come to fruition. But maybe that wasn't the image. We're Bible believers. Mm-hmm. God has a plan for your life. Yeah. Maybe that was not. Maybe, thank goodness, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, like well, Abraham was nomadic. Most yeah. of these guys, in the, especially in Genesis, they were nomadic. They were place to place. They were not stationary. Yeah. So. You know, really, when you look at the the main characters, they were like that. Uh, they, they were constantly learning, going from this place to the other, most of the time failing. Yeah. But we're giants of faith. Mm-hmm. So I, I envy the people who can say, I've got a 20-year plan, and I'm going to do it, and they succeed and do it. That, that, that's great. You know, I have no fault in those people. Yeah. For me, my life has not worked out like that, and I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with the stuff I've learned. I'm very happy with the things that I've gone through because fortunately I feel like God has given me the opportunity to learn from it and become something that I'm proud of. Yeah. Well, so, that's the key. I mean, that's the key to it, man. Following him. And then he, he forms you and uh, guides you in direction the way you should go. Yeah. But I think that's important, man. Uh, that's some good stuff. That, so are we going to say a 10, 20 year plan? You got anything for that? <laughs> uh, my son will be, I see. I'll be, let's see. When I turn 62, I'll graduate high school. Oh, wow. 
Um, I think I told him the other day. I said, "Buddy, I'm, I'm I need to I need to be around for you until I'm at least sixty five. Mm-hmm. You'll be twenty one years old, and I have to pour everything into you." Mm-hmm. He said, "Yeah, Daddy." Awesome. Yeah, we'll do awesome. That. So if I have a plan, it's going to be that, and hopefully, me and my wife can travel a little bit. You know. Yeah, so for sure. That's. That's awesome. We're homebodies, so it might be difficult. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm really the same way. I enjoy traveling, but some people got to be on the road all the time. I'm like, not me. I'm yeah. good with just a plain life. Yeah. I, uh, I, we both enjoy being home. But yeah. Yeah, I just I want to be there for my son. I want to see him go get through school, become what he wants to become. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, see what happens from there. That's awesome. I man. hope I can keep my health and keep my vitality and... Maybe teach some drums here and there. Well, that's it. Health is everything, man. Yeah. I mean, you can have all the money, whatever. If you don't have your health, none of that really matters. Nope. I think that's very, very important. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good stuff, man. This has been awesome. I wanted to tell you, uh, thank you for everything you've done in my life. Um, man, you know, it was awesome, awesome having you around. Yeah. Very, very proud of you, dude. Yeah. You're, you're, you've become a wonderful young man. Well, thank you, man. But hey. yeah, just the influence, um, not just on my life, but a lot of others. Um, you know, people say you talk about the, 0809 line when you go back and all that mm-hmm. but they talk about you you know a lot of people do how influential you are to people um and, and that's what uh, life's all about man yeah making men better and, and growing us up man wouldn't yeah. be who i am without you appreciate you thank you buddy appreciate you that's pretty much it man thanks for watching guys that is the podcast the better man we're on youtube like comment subscribe to the channel Hit the notification bell. You're going to get all my videos directly to you. We're on every single audio podcast platform, all of them. Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us that five-star rating because we give five-star service. Thanks for watching. Until the next one. Peace.